it's good to be able to gather with you uh, through these tools to be able to worship together, to gather around God's Word. Uh, we're in a series which we've called I Belong. We're taking a look at the passage Colossians chapter 2 verses 6 through 15 and each week we take just a couple of the verses and see what they have for us in our understanding of what it means to belong to Jesus. Today we're going to be looking at verses 13 and 14 and I've highlighted them in the text but we'll go ahead and read all of verses 6 through 15. With your Bible in hand let's go ahead and hear the word of God uh, today. Colossians 2, verses 6 through 15. Therefore, as you receive Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit, according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. For in him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily, and you have been filled in him, who is the head of all rule and authority. In him also you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands, by putting off the body of, of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God, who raised him from the dead. And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame, by triumphing over them in him. May God bless the reading of his word, and may God bless our time together. We've uh, used the two-word statement to describe this series, I belong. It's also the theme for our whole year, but it's not just a slogan. There's something that it speaks to, that it flows from, and it's this whole concept of our union with Christ. Our union with Christ is everything. We don't just say yes to Jesus, or it's not just an idea, or uh, it's not that we belong to a church, or when we belong to Jesus, there's this connection and intimacy, a, a, a new reality that defines us. Here's what we've covered so far. We took a look at in Christ, in this union, we are rooted and built up in him, in him, in that union, rooted. There are so many things that try to root us in this world. The family in which we grew up, the, the part of the world in which we live, culture around us. Everything's trying to root us according to some set of understandings. But when we receive Christ, uh, when God works in our hearts, we form a union with him that roots us definitively, that builds us up definitively and establishes us in the faith. We also took a look that we are filled. In fact, the text says that uh, in Jesus, the whole fullness of deity dwelt bodily. Therefore, we don't need to pay attention to any other philosophies, any other uh, religion or uh, set of answers that someone comes up with. Because in Jesus, who is 
the one in whom the whole fullness of deity dwelt bodily. It's in him that we are filled. We're not filled with deity. We're, we're, we're made complete. We're made complete in that union with Christ. Just last week, we took a look at the uh, teaching that we are raised, that in this relationship with Jesus, in this union, there, that in order for that union to be established, there was that part of us that that kept us away from God, that meant that we could not be in a, uh, a relationship with Him, and God cut that away. He removed it, and that we were buried with Christ in our baptism when we were raised, and we have this new life in Him. Well, today we're going to look at the idea uh, that um, uh, we are also forgiven, that this union with Christ uh, comes about uh, uh, through our forgiveness, that, that God forgives us, We'll take a look at what Paul teaches in our passage regarding that. Have you ever thought about playing a dead person on a TV show? I have. I thought, gosh, this is the easy way to get some screen time. You know, you, you, you take a look at it. Depending on what year you were born in, it may be one show or another show. They actually did some statistics on this that in terms of the popular shows, uh, the shows with the highest death count, uh, there is uh, uh, Breaking Bad, there's Westworld, and there are the Vampire Diaries. Uh, most dead people per show. Um, there's this one actor uh, who is describing how he plays a dead person. Like this is uh, um, the, the work that he's mastered. He said, it's important if you're going to play a dead person, go ahead and relax. Let all the tension out. Just become loose. And then just before the director uh, yells action, take in a big breath and hold it. Hold it until the director yells cut. Well, there you go. Now you're ready to play a dead person on TV. It turns out that being dead is something all humans are actually kind of good at. It's, it's the way we come into this world, that, that we are spiritually dead people, and we need life. In the text, Paul says, and you, and you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your heart. This word dead in the passage, uh, Bible scholars point out that it has a heaviness to it. It, it, it comes with a, um, a a sense of condemnation. It's a heavy dead. It's a weighty dead. There's a passage in Romans where Paul writes, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. You know, the term for glory is actually a word that means weightiness. We talk about God's glory, his, his, uh, that he has true substance. Uh, when we are outside of that union with Christ, that weightiness of God, that, that glory of God is actually crushing for us. It's not as though God goes around and, and, and seeks to crush people. It's just that who God is in his uh, righteousness and his holiness, just who God is in his purity and wonder, and then who we are in our own brokenness and our own sinfulness, and um, that, that his glory 
is crushing to our souls. God intended for us uh, to be in a relationship in which we would enjoy glory with Him, that he would, we would enjoy His glory with Him, and, and yet in a situation outside of a union with Christ, the very definition of who God is in His glory becomes crushing to us. It's not just about what we've done or what we haven't done. It's about where we stand. Apart from Jesus, where we stand, in the verses we're looking at, it's described as the uncircumcision of your flesh. That's our standing apart from Christ. Now, this is, uh, I realize this is not a point we can argue uh, someone into a understanding. In fact, for a lot of us, um, uh, we may have grown up in a situation where we've always belonged to a church, and, and we maybe have given a nod to the uh, theological idea that we were dead apart from Christ but we don't necessarily have that sense of feeling or that connection with what that deadness means. It could be that you're someone who came to Christ later in your life, and you came to that realization. You, you sensed it. You knew that your soul, that you were dead, and you yearned, you longed for new life. Our text declares that all of us and you, and you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh. But there's something about belonging to Jesus. Something about the union we have. We've been, we've been looking at the Heidelberg Catechism in its first question and answer. And it says there, it says, what is your only comfort in life and in death? You know, even the question itself uh, hints at something more. It, it, it hints at life. It, it hints at, at comfort and strength and, and something beyond just being dead apart from God. What is your only comfort, your defining strength in life and in death? Well, we find out in our text that after Paul explains who we are and you who are dead in your trespasses, and the uncircumcision of your flesh, that God has made alive together with Christ, that God has worked this, that Jesus crucified dead and buried, and on the third day he rose, and with his coming to life, we have the opportunity to come to life, that God made us alive together with Christ. You know, I, uh, I've taken a CPR class a number of times. And by the way, which is a good thing to do, encourage you to do it as well. I've never had to use my training, and I'm grateful for that. I do have friends that have found themselves in that position, uh, often with a stranger. That's been more of the stories I've heard. But I can only imagine coming up to somebody and, and you, you kneel alongside them and, uh, and you reach out and in that sense of, you know, am I putting my hands in the right place? Am I giving enough pressure? Um, in that sense of live and live and live and live, you want that person to come to life. What Paul describes for us is that through Jesus Christ, as he is raised, as God accomplished the work through Christ's death on the cross. 
He takes the weight of the cross. He takes, he takes the weightiness of what Jesus accomplished and he breathes life into us. He, he causes us to be able to come to life. He pays the penalty that we could not pay for ourselves. Jesus' whole purpose of coming into this world was simply this, to make us alive. In fact, even just taking a quick look at the story, there's a place in the first chapter of Matthew where the angel comes to Joseph and says um, that Mary's gonna have a child and you're gonna name him Jesus for he will save his people from their sins. They were dead in their sins. They were dead in their trespasses and Jesus came to save them from their sins. If we go to the beginning of Mark's gospel in chapter two, verse 17, there's this uh, situation where the Pharisees were um, pushing back on Jesus and asking, why are you hanging out with uh, sinners? And, and Jesus said that, that he came into this world for that purpose, not, not for the righteous. The righteous are not the ones who need help, but it's the sinners, that he came for the sinners, that they would have new life. There, there's that place in John's gospel in chapter 10, verse 10, where it's the context where Jesus is talking about being the good shepherd and he says that he, he came that they might have life and have it abundantly. The whole purpose of Jesus was to come into this world as we were apart from God, we were outside that relationship, and that he would take care of things that, that we might be able to enter into a, a living relationship with God through him. And the way that he accomplishes that is described for us in the next part of the verses. It's um, uh, given to us in a couple of participles. It says uh, that um, we were made alive together with Christ, uh, having um, forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt. By canceling the record of debt. Having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. You know, the, this concept of forgiveness. That God would choose to um, uh, not let the choices we've made, the, the standing we had, to be the last word about who we are. And, and the way that he accomplishes this, the way it's described here, the word picture that Paul provides is this record of debt. Bible scholars have talked about it in terms of an IOU. That every human being, because we're created in the image of God, that we're, we're created by God for his glory, that all of us enter this world with this IOU. I will live according to all of your decrees. I, I, I will keep all that you have called upon me to keep. Of course, not one single human could do that. Jesus came into this world fully God, fully human. He alone could accomplish this and and what Jesus, what God does in and through Jesus is he takes that IOU that we have, where we said, um, uh, as we came into this world, that it's written out for us already in advance, that we would keep every single one of his decrees, and, and yet we couldn't. And so what Jesus does is he takes care of that. He cancels that debt. You know, uh, uh, I love that it says that having forgiven us all of our trespasses, now, I know that uh, uh, being that our church is in Peoria, uh, we have a lot of engineers. We have a large manufacturing company here in town, and so we have a lot of engineers and scientists and, 
and it may be that you remember some of this from uh, when you were in school, the whole idea of Cartesian coordinates. You know, it's a, it's a way of thinking about reality, that, that we create this three-dimensional space by an x-axis and a y-axis and a z-axis. And so one way to think of this is that our lives are Cartesian coordinates, that we have a Cartesian coordinate system that defines who we are. So we have different relationships, and, and we might establish a plane that below that plane, well, that's, uh, um, uh, those are bad choices, and below, above that plane are good choices. So we have good choices that we make, and we plot those out in our life, and we can see them, and, and, and we can acknowledge them. Below that plane, we have those choices where we regret, where we just know that they were not healthy choices. And, and so we might evaluate ourselves of, by how many good choices we've made and how many bad choices we've made. And, and if our choices that were good were better than our bad choices, if they were of a higher uh, uh, absolute value, um, then, then, you know, we're, we're probably pre- pretty good. The problem is that that's based on our set of coordinates. In, in truth, there's a, a bigger reality than just what we would define for ourselves. This bigger reality is God's reality. That God establishes. God establishes what is right. God establishes by his very being what is good. And so our little set of coordinates, um, uh, when we come into this world, are so marred already by sin that there's nothing we could do that, that could set us right with God. And so every choice having been colored by, by some kind of a, a, a brokenness in us, a sinfulness in us. And so when, when Paul says that we've been forgiven all of our trespasses, that we've been made alive together with Christ, that God having forgiven us all our trespasses, that means every denial of his lordship in our life. Think about that. Think about all the moments, all the mundane times, all the, all the substantial, uh, rememberable times, um, all the times we denied his lordship in and through Jesus Christ were forgiven. You figure every single time we rejected his righteousness, you know, God being who God is, he is about what is right, what is just. He defines his very heart, his, his steadfast love, his, his compassion, his holiness, it, dis, it defines what is right and what is good, what is just. And every time we rejected his definition, again, whether it's in those mundane times, whether it's uh, um, uh, how we treat somebody. In fact, every time that we, uh, in our desires, in the words that we spoke, in the actions that we lived out, where we worshipped uh, false gods, we're forgiven for all of those. Every time we worshipped self or others or some set of philosophies or some set of teachings, every time we worshipped something that was never meant to be worshipped, we're forgiven for all those things where we worshiped our own anger and we allowed our anger to be lord over us and we treated people out of our anger, where, where we worshiped our own pride or we, we worshiped our own greed or envy or, or lust 
or gluttony and consumption. Where we said, you know, our time, our energy is ours to use as we wish. We, we would refer to that as sloth, where we're, we're using time for something other than what God would have us use it for, using energy other than what God would have us. What it says is that we're forgiven for all of these things. You feel the weight of that. The weight of that that defines us, that separates us from God. The very uncircumcision of our flesh. And the text tells us, you're forgiven. The record of your debt is canceled. It's wiped away. And then that word picture that, that it is nailed to the cross. That when Jesus dies on the cross with his death, the penalty is paid. The, IO, the IOU is canceled. That we're set right. We go from being apart from God in and through faith through Jesus Christ, we have the opportunity to become alive together with him. In other words, then, forgiveness, if we're made alive together through Christ, looking at the couple participles that follow, that having been forgiven, that the forgiveness leads to this life. It allows this life in Christ to take place. God made you alive together with Christ. It's good news. When we say yes to Jesus Christ, we receive life. You know, uh, this life, this forgiveness, uh, we might be able to talk about it in terms of it equaling freedom. It's freedom from that being away from God. In fact, there's this passage in Romans, Romans chapter 8, verse 2. It's another set of word pictures, and we won't go into all the detail on it, but just take, take a look at this. And in Romans 8, 2, it says, For the law of the Spirit of life, for the law of the Spirit of life, has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. <laughs> being, being condemned under the law of sin and death, being, being dead apart from Christ, and to be set free. You know, one of the things I love seeing, I, I love seeing toddlers, uh, when they're given uh, the ability just to, to run, when, when they um, are, are let loose from their stroller or uh, put down from mom and dad, and, and they hit the ground, and they see something, they see something shiny, or, or maybe they just want to run, and they just, they just run flat out. I think it's a great picture. When we are forgiven, we have freedom. We're, we're not defined by our uh, being standing out on our own or the things we've done. We have freedom. But it's an interesting freedom because it's a freedom in a direction. It's a freedom in a direction. We're made free toward God. Forgiveness allows us, gives us, grants us a freedom and aliveness, but it's an aliveness toward God. So, to be, say that we're forgiven in and through Jesus Christ is not just uh, the same as getting a, 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 a get-out-of-hell-free card. That would just be like, okay, here's, here's, your, um, here's your card. You've got freedom. Now go ahead and live the life any way you want. No, we're called into that relationship. It's, it's a freedom that is intended to point us toward Christ, 
there's this um, uh, way that Paul writes in his letter to the Corinthian church. It's a, uh, from chapter 13 of 1 Corinthians. And so the chapter is known for being read when people get married. And, but he's, he's actually using this one expression when he describes that we kind of see dimly right now, but you know, when Jesus comes back, when, when the, all things are filled, and when, when, when uh, completion takes place, that, um, that we'll be able to see more clearly. And he goes, you know, when, uh, when I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. Uh, when I became an adult, I put away uh, childish ways. Um, that's a, I think there's a use for that kind of understanding of what we're talking about here. It could be that you have said yes to Jesus some time ago. And we've been living in this freedom, but we've been acting more like a toddler in the freedom than it, as one who is an adult in Christ. And we've just been running around with our freedom thinking that it's all about a get-out-of-jail-free card. And, and so we, we go ahead and live according to the structures we want to put together and the things we want to prioritize. And, but that freedom was meant for a purpose, for a relationship. It's forgiveness in a direction that produces a direction that we would pursue God, a freedom toward God. You know, I'm often ask, you know, well, uh, how do we apply that then? What, what does that mean? Well, here's what I would encourage us to do. I, I would encourage you that even this, this week, would you rejoice in the freedom that you have in and through Jesus Christ? You know, if you haven't um, come to that place yet where, you, where you've said yes to God in Jesus Christ, maybe this is the week for that. Maybe even today that you would say, God, I want to go from being dead to being alive. God, I want, I want your forgiveness. I, I, I want to live a life of, of abundance and fullness. I want to live. Would you just let God know that today? And know for sure that it's taken place. In fact, if this is the day that you do that, would you maybe call a, a Christian friend? Reach out to someone. Just let them know that you made that choice. If, if you're someone who's done it before, would would you let this be a week or two weeks or three weeks where you simply rejoiced in the forgiveness that you have? The forgiveness that, that means life? Life that means freedom toward God? The other thing I would add to that is that let's take a look at our freedom. Let's assess, have we just been playing at freedom or is our freedom in a direction? Is our forgiveness, our new life in a direction to say, I belong is a relationship. I belong to Jesus Christ. What is your only comfort in life and in death? That I belong body and soul not to myself not to my old self not to the world not to somebody else's agenda not to the circumcision of my flesh not to all my trespasses but I belong to my faithful Savior Jesus Christ let's pray together
Father, we thank you for what you have made happen in and through Jesus Christ. We thank you for the new life that we have in him, for the forgiveness that we have received, for the weightiness of your glory that we can be a part of going forward. We thank you that you have allowed us to belong to Jesus. We pray for those who are making their decision of faith today, who are saying yes to what you've already accomplished in their hearts. We pray, God, that you would allow them to receive that forgiveness, that they would fall toward you. God, we thank you, and we give you praise. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, we provide the communication that next Sunday, on February 14th, we're actually going to be back on our campus. And so we'll have the registration uh, available online that it's already been talked about in the announcements, I know. We'll send out more information this week from the church. Uh, we'll also be live streaming, uh, and that's going to, uh, again, the service will be at 9 a.m. next Sunday morning, so you can tune in then. And then shortly after the service, we'll do all the work that needs to happen in order to render the the final piece, and we'll upload uh, uh, the recording so that if you need to access it at a later time, it'll also be available. Next Sunday, we also have our, the, meet, the annual meeting of our congregation. Again, that was in the announcements, and we've uh, communicated that through a number of our emails. Um, that'll take place at 11 a.m. We'll get the word out to you. I just want to let you know that the annual report is going to be sent out early in the week, so you'll have all of that to read ahead of the con congregational meeting. God bless you, and I hope that you know God loves you and that I love you. I, I, I love you in the name of Christ I love you. And may you so enjoy the love of God that you would then share that and splash it and offer it to all those around you. In Christ's name, have a good week.